This is the CineSnob Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 209 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, welcome back. We took a week off again. We did. We did. We, um, you know, I, it's, it's funny that we went through uh, basically doing every week during the pandemic and now that theaters are open and stuff, we're back to taking weeks off again. <laughs> Well, I mean, this is the first, uh, last week was sort of a half-assed open theater week. Mm-hmm. This week is like, everyone's back. Yeah. Um, uh, and w- one of the movies we're going to talk about, Quiet Place Part 2, um, seems to be the one to be doing it. Uh, mm-hmm. With John Krasinski, like, making a whirlwind tour across the country, welcoming people back to theaters, ending up here in Austin. Uh, which I didn't realize the first A Quiet Place premiered at South By. Yeah, it did. I I totally missed that somehow. I think that was the year I took off that I didn't actually go because it was it 2018. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been. Um, but yeah, it seems like um, everyone has headed back to the theater at this point. Um, I th- th- To see A Quiet Place Part 2 at the press screening was my first time back in the theater since march of 2020 mm-hmm. um i can't say it was any different you know it was they had remodeled the theater since i had been there so it was it was actually pretty nice uh but yeah. you know we'll it, see well, it, it's it, it'll be interesting to see what happened like is it only going to be for <laughs> you know bigger tentpole or franchise movies or are we going to start seeing people show up for, you know, your mid-level stuff and see the box office bounce back a little bit? Are you going to see, like, you know, box office surprise hits in the way that you did previously? Like, what you know, what's going to happen, for example, with, like, The Conjuring next week when it's an HBO Max release as well? Um, yeah. You know, you saw a little bit with Cruella in the box office was lower than A Quiet Place um, and, um, you know, had the Disney premiere access option. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that it, it just you know this definitely seems like the week that movies are back you know quote unquote um, right but i don't know if they're back for good i guess we'll see hey and hey now masks are optional at all the major chains so you know um at the press screening we had to wear a mask um we had a temperature check um the poor rep um a, a dude named high he had to check everyone's temperature <laughs> i'm sure it's not what he uh, ever thought he'd be doing but uh it was it was a very, it was a much smaller crowd, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was, um, I, I honestly don't know if they turned people away, because I don't, there wasn't a lot of people waiting outside, or weren't it, it, a lot of people waiting outside. It was not press only, it was open to the public as well? Yeah, it was a press and promo screening, because I, I okay. couldn't make the the actual press screening, so this was a press mm-hmm. promo screening. So there were, gotcha. there were people waiting outside, which is something I haven't obviously seen in over a year. Um, so I, I'm really curious as to the late actually did turn away. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, were it they, was, a, were they enforcing social distancing? No, but everyone kind of did it anyway. That's good. Like it was, it, first of all, it, it's a, it's a bigger, they, they've since remodeled the theater. This is the galaxy Highland here in Austin where we do a lot of press screenings. They remodeled this particular theater to have the wider reclining seats. Mm-hmm. So they're naturally a little further apart. You're not sharing an armrest, so to speak, with the ne- person next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, 
there were uh, kind of, everyone was kind of naturally social distancing which was which was nice it wasn't you know i never felt too cramped you know these press screenings typically are especially with the public are, are really just cram everyone in to the point where you know it doesn't uh you know you can't hardly move and especially some of these older theaters where you know the the seating is very narrow i think uh you came to one here at the it's at the uh, regal um where we saw uh star wars or was it yeah yeah avengers yeah. it's very cramped uh yeah, it was very uncomfortable. I, I don't. Yeah, it was the same theater. So yeah, it was extremely uncomfortable. The one we saw uh, Avengers Endgame in was particularly uncomfortable because it wasn't even like stadium seating. It was just like yeah. like shitty sloped seating that you had. You couldn't move your knees. Well, yeah, I, mean, like, I could because I'm smaller, but like going to the quarry in San yeah. Antonio. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. Has the, has the quarry been remodeled ever? I haven't been no. back. Okay. <laughs> no, it's still the same terrible seating arrangement. Well, there's, you know, there's people who love that theater. I don't understand. Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, it. I don't know that I've ever seen a, a movie in the Quarry Theater other than in that main, like end one. They always do the press screenings in. Mm-hmm. Or I think we did a. Didn't we do a? What was that that thing? We did Step Brothers there. Yes, that's it. What was yeah. that that program called? Tug. Tug. Yeah. Um, I think we, we saw a, that we in did a smaller a tug. Yeah, had like two people show up, maybe. We had enough to. So it used to be you had to have a certain number of people buy tickets to make the event go. So we had at least like enough to cover the cost of renting the theater and booking the movie. But yeah, it was a good time. Um, anyway. Um, so yeah, we'll see if everyone gets sick or I think if, I think if we, if this weekend goes off fine and like, there's no huge spikes or anything, then I think the United States will, will more officially say like, yay, we're done with everything. Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway, um, moving on, uh, some big news this week. Uh, this had been rumored for a couple of weeks or at least a week. Uh, Amazon is buying... MGM, uh, the studio behind uh, the James Bond films, and uh, not much else, if I'm being honest. Um, a lot of television yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, a lot of television. I think it's something like um, uh, 4,000 movies and 17,000 TV shows in the catalog. Um, yeah. So, so it also, you know... It all. So, I mean, I think the big thing is that it, there are some properties that it allows it to mine for, for the IP for potential, you know, movies or TV series. Like, you know, if they want to reboot the Pink Panther, if they want to do something with Rocky, they have access to do that. Um, uh, Legally Blonde, Barbershop. Um, yeah, yeah, and then and then on the TV side, uh, Fargo, Handmaid's Tale, and Vikings are all MGM. Uh, Tomb Raider, they can Shark do Tank. Tomb Raider, RoboCop. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, we we've talked about this before, but I think most of the pre like 1986 library is owned by or is owned by Warner Brothers. A lot of it is uh, distribution wise. So like The Wizard of Oz is probably the most famous MGM movie ever, and maybe uh, maybe Gone with the Wind is Gone with the Wind. MGM, I, I don't know, I, but I there's know. a lot of that stuff that that now just runs through Warner Brothers. Which sucks, but anyway. Um, yeah, so this is a big deal by Amazon. Um, 
I guess most notably is that uh, the James Bond stuff will remain theatrically released uh, moving forward. But what are your thoughts? Do you have any? Do you have any memory of MGM? Do you have any fondness for MGM at all? Not really. Um, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I, I was trying to think about it if I could think of anything that uh, that really stuck out. But no. You know, I've liked MGM movies, but it's not as if it was a studio that I was ever, you know, really looking forward to the next thing that they did. Um, you know, the it, 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 it's almost like the Bond part of this whole thing is a little bit overblown because of, mm-hmm. like, the limitations that it's actually going to have with it. And I'm pretty sure that Barbara Broccoli could squash a Bond TV series if she wanted to because I think they have enough creative control over that franchise that, that you know, they may be able to step in and prevent that from happening. Um, it is interesting from the standpoint of, uh, of seeing what happens with Amazon films that come directly to the platform. Um, I think they've been doing a pretty okay job at, you know, uh, you know, original films and programming. And, um, it's, it's strange to me that they would, they would look to enhance via this rather than, you know, put all that money into like their own studio, uh, and maybe making their own stuff. But, you know, I guess if you're trying to win the streaming wars, it's a, it's a matter of, you know, volume of content and they certainly are adding a shit ton, a shit ton of content. And honestly, um, the thing that may benefit them a little is that, uh, HBO Max gets great publicity for their library of content, and among you know cinephiles and movie fans, it's considered they're considered to have the best library of stuff, and so they have actually the most stuff that was created pre like two thousand or something like that. Netflix barely has hmm. any, um, and this gives Amazon uh, a, a potential you know catalog of older films that can attract a different audience to streaming. So there is that piece. That is somewhat interesting, but it, I don't know that this thing like moves the needle in any significant way for Amazon. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of that IP is pretty dated. I mean, the Rocky stuff is still go- going with Creed, and uh, but like the Pink Panther, like no one's cared about that in <laughs> fifty years. They had the Steve Martin reboots, but uh, travesty. <laughs> sorry, man. I'm, I know you you love the. Uh, Blake Edwards. Um, I do love the Peter Sellers Pink Panther. It's great. Oh, do you really? I haven't. Yeah. I've actually. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever seen one all the way through. It's great. Aren't they pretty racist at times too? I mean, of course, because it's the sixties. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think everything from that time period probably comes with uh, your fair share of casual racism. What? Um, so, what? Uh, what drew you to the to the Pink Panther movies? Um, like grandparents were big okay. fans and then, which mean meant that my parents were big fans. So, um, watching through them, like my grand, like I, my grandfather, like, uh, was a huge Pink Panther fan. So. Oh, okay. That makes, that's makes my parents never, my, my dad watched like trucker movies, like Convoy. <laughs> and, <laughs> I know uh, more Chuck Norris movies than I do, uh. Blake Edwards and Peter Sellers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think maybe the interest, most interesting thing is if something comes out of this, like a Rocky TV series or, right. um, you know, Legally Blonde or any of this other IP that might exist. Maybe a RoboCop. I, I don't know. I mean, just none of this stuff strikes me as, as particularly valuable, but, you know, I, I'm curious if this if this changes, like, 
acquisition for Amazon since they've been picking up stuff like Paramount's cast-offs for some reason. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like Amazon right now is a bottomless pit of money, and I yeah. I think that, you know, I, I feel like, you know, they're spending so much money acquiring, you know, these movies from Paramount, and, um, you know, MGM is not exactly a prolific studio either, um, and so it's not as if there's a huge calendar of MGM movies coming out in the near future that they can bank on. So I don't know. I have trouble understanding in, you know, how much of it is IP, how much of it is previous and, you know, old libraries, how much of it is future stuff, because it's such a weird studio to, you know, acquire, I think, um, you know, not to say it's like small potatoes or anything, but also again, how many movies has MGM put out in the last five years, you know? Right. And I mean, it's always been stuff that like, uh, I think they did, um, they do Bill and Ted. I mean, that's Orion. I don't know if that's a subsidiary anymore. I mean, it, yeah, it's just it's a weird it's a weird thing. And I think the only big marquee thing is Bond anymore, and that's really more of a distribution thing. So yeah, so I'm looking at MGM. They've have a shitload of stuff, you know, in the olden days. But if you look, <laughs> uh, if you look, wait, why is it this? Oh, here we go. Sorry, the Wikipedia was acting up. Um, I'm editing it right now. That's what. Oh shit! That's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like in you know, since 2000 and let's say 15, you know, like there's a lot of like partnership with other studios and stuff, but like significant stuff, like like that's like franchise stuff that could make money. Like they they released a Tomb Raider, the Tomb Raider reboot, um, a Star Is Born was theirs. Mm. Um, Fighting with my family was a good one. Um, but like, that was a WWE co-production too. Yes, yeah. And then 2020, they just had Valley Girl. Uh, and then 2020, Valley Girl. Uh, I have no idea. It, it, I don't. It, yes, they did. Okay, weird. But I think it Sorry. was like a musical or something. Um, hmm. And then like they're 20. They have a lot of stuff on the 2021 calendar. But like, does anything look? I mean, they've got Candyman later this year. Um, which could be something, and then they've got the that uh, Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, House of Gucci movie. Um, so who knows? You oh, know, they, they don't... got the new uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Oh well, there you go. They don't own any of like their animated stuff anymore. That's all Warner Brothers. Like Tom and Jerry started out as MGM. Uh, not that that's making a killing for Warner Brothers at this point, but. Yeah, and I wonder because MGM does a lot of like co-production stuff that's distributed by other, like you're saying with Warner Brothers. So I wonder even how much of this stuff even is part of the deal. You know, like, that's what like, I mean. Is like the like the movies from pre whatever 1986, according to this, is that's all owned by Warner Brothers. It's all like Ted Turner owns those, and then that's part of Warner Brothers now. So it's. Like that's all like, you know, again, Wizard of Oz is a Warner Brothers property. The the uh, A Gone with the Wind is a Warner Brothers thing. All yeah. that stuff from the classic, you know, the classic era of Hollywood is it belongs to Warner Brothers now. You can't you know, they can't IP, you know, create something off the IP of of uh, Wizard of Oz, the film. You know, it's just a it seems it's a weird deal. It's a weird deal. But who knows? Yep. Who, I mean. So long as they get my shit here in a day or whatever, that's all I care about. <laughs> Prime video is a, a, a bonus. Uh, anything else before we move on? No, let's get to it. 
All right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up, we have A Quiet Place Part 2. This is, of course, the sequel to A Quiet Place, which we talked a little bit about earlier. Um, This originally was supposed to uh, be released, I believe, March of 2020, Mm -hmm. because it had its world premiere um, before the pandemic, and I believe there were already reviews of it out, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, some press had seen it. Um, But this was, of course, shelved uh, until now because of the pandemic, and now it's here, and Cody... Tell us about A Quiet Place Part 2 and what you think of it. Sure. So, I mean, um, it, it, it's, it's difficult to discuss plot with it because it really is just sort of like a continuation of the first film. It's like that, immediately afterward. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, I mean, so, so it is that there's, you know, these, um, these monsters that are there that, um, that um, you know, are sensitive to sound and, uh, and so they must be quiet and they're trying to survive. You know, that's basically it. And, you know, it's Emily Blunt um, has uh, three kids. And um, and then John Krasinski's character uh, comes back. Spoiler alert, doesn't make it through the first one. Uh, and comes back in a little bit of a prologue um, in this one. And um, and then it kind of... So so they show day one, which, I you know, that scene was whatever. I mean, I it's it's ostensibly a way to introduce Killian Murphy's character. So, like... Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really add anything new to the to the mix other than kind of confirming that these are aliens. Right, right, exactly. And so... Um, and so once it gets started, um, uh, you, you start seeing that, that this... So basically, the one of the kids played by Noah Jupe gets injured, and they and they find an old like family friend they had played by, like I said, Killian Murphy, and... Um, and uh, and so he's sort of like struggling to. He doesn't. He he says he can't help them. He can't. He can't. Um, you know, do anything for them. And then the girl played by Millicent Simmons um, finds a way uh, to. Uh, there, there's potentially a way that they can get to safety that she discovers. And so, you know, it, it kind of becomes this thing where you know she runs off and then. Killian Murphy goes out to, to to find her, and then they end up going on that. While Emily Blunt is trying to take care of Noah Jupe's uh, injury and, and kind of keep her and her other two kids safe, um, you know, I don't remember too too much about A Quiet Place. I saw it, you know, back when it came out, and thought it was fine. You know, a, a decent horror movie. I'm not, you know, the biggest horror movie fan, but. Um, you know, finding it tense and finding some, uh, you know, a, a somewhat interesting take on, if not a little dumb at times, take on uh, <laughs> on sort of like the idea of you know playing with sound and stuff like that. Um, and this movie, I, I think, is effective. You know, I think that it's 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 effectively tense. Um, I, I think there, there it has maybe a couple of pacing problems in there. Um, towards the middle of the movie where I think it might kind of stretch out the tension, maybe just a tad too much for my liking. Um, but 
I think, you know, by far, the Killian Murphy and Millicent Simmons stuff is the best stuff in the movie. And I think, like, far superior to the Emily Blunt stuff. Yeah. And I think Krasinski knows that as a director. And maybe to a fault spends too much time with them um, because it really becomes their movie um, for most of the second half of it. And I think that's the best stuff that, that, you know, the, the, um, you know, it's really sort of setting up Millicent Simmons as being like a very strong independent character uh, and very smart and very, um, uh, and, and, and very brave. And, and I, and I really like the relationship that forms there, how, you know, he's really reluctant to do any, to do much of anything. She's the one who kind of has to be, you know, the, you know, again, the brave one who's trying to, you know, save her family um, and get to safety. And so, you know, I think it, you know, it, it plays off of, you know, some jump scares, it plays off some surprising stuff. And, and, you know, it, it is a little, you know, a little jump scare cheaty when it's having to do with sound, but at least it does it in a way that makes sense, right? Where everything is quiet for a reason. And then you have, you know, some sort of sound that can, you know, raise the tension. And so I think that part is effective. I think that the weird thing about it, and I mentioned this to you in a chat, is that to me, the whole thing feels structured like a TV pilot because the, the it sort of like presents itself with an intro and then has like a self-contained like bottled story and then it fucking ends just like an episode of TV would end. The ending is not, to me, the ending is very frustrating because it is it, it makes you go, okay, so this was a setup movie. This was just a movie to get us to part three, which is a really frustrating thing you know, we, you and I talk about it all the time with the Marvel stuff when movies yeah. just kind of serve as a setup. You know, that being said, um, I do think that what's in there is uh, is 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 pretty decent. You know, I can I can nitpick it a lot. You know, I can you know I can say that the a lot of the Emily Blunt stuff, like I said, is a lot weaker. Um, I you know there's there's other kind of bits of nitpick of like you know Noah Jupe's character having a bit of inconsistency in terms of, <laughs> of in terms of his bravery and in having that kind of turn. <laughs> um, and then there's also a section that where they stumble across some other people that just kind of it, it's really not very satisfying. Um, and uh, and especially you know they get like a a, a pretty you know decently well known actor to play a part. Um, that is just kind of like a half-assed kind of written thing. So you know, it, it, it's 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 a somewhat mixed bag, but I, I but I'm mostly positive about it, and I think I'm mostly positive on the strength of like it's effective tension building. I think that it it kind of really wraps you. It, it's a it, you know the, the its use of sound makes it a very visceral experience, and I think that that's the best thing it has going for it. You know, to be fair uh, to the film, um, and for whatever reason, I never saw the first film when it was released, and my wife and I finally watched it the weekend before we went to see this. Um, So to be fair to the comparison to a TV pilot, the first one does end on a cliffhanger, too. Like, it Mm -hmm. immediately ends. So it's kind of par for the course. But I I do see what you're saying. Um, I think the biggest issue I have with it is the, uh, the Emily Blunt stuff. It kind of forgets about how much time is passing with that character and what exactly is happening to go focus on uh uh Killian Murphy and uh Madison I'm sorry what is her name I forget Millicent Millicent Simmons. Millicent Simmons anyway uh the the 
it feels like the movie should have just left the Emily Blunt character behind with no peril um, to me because it feels like it should more be about this this kind of this two person film. And that's the biggest difference, I think, from the first film is that it splits everyone up uh, storyline wise and they never come back together. Um, and then the the uh, this, the part you mentioned where you're introduced to this group of other people. You know, first of all, the the motivation for getting there is kind of dumb, um, in that it's a dumb mystery. Mm-hmm. And again, when you get there, again, and I mentioned this to you before, it felt like Lost. Yeah. Um, you know, wherein like there's it looked like Lost. <laughs> it looked like Lost and felt like Lost. I was like, did um, they just find the Dharma Initiative? Yeah. Is this the others? <laughs> uh, no, but it's uh the idea that there was like a hidden clue, um. You know, I, I think the the mythology of this stuff is can get a little dumb. Yeah. You know, the visceral sort of like, hey, they can hear they they're tracked by sound. You got to be quiet. Like that's a great setup, but I think anything that that tries to explore that mythology gets a little dumb. And it, it you know, so much so in the first film, you know, the the solution is, uh, the the daughter is deaf and has a cochlear implant. And Krasinski's character tries to fix it and ends up fucking it up, and it produces some sort of feedback that disrupts the alien sonar. I don't know what you would call it, but they don't like it. Yeah. So they're using this as a weapon, which you know the Navy probably should have figured out. You know the military probably should have if they once they figured out it was sound, they, they should have been quick work of these aliens. But you know that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, once you get to the to the the idea that. Uh, that is the goal is for her to take this hearing aid and turn it into like a, a weapon of mass destruction for these things. It gets a little stupid and I, I'm okay with that, but it, it, the movie takes itself very seriously about its stupidity. Um, so I, that's, that's where it suffers a little bit for me, but I do think it's a, I do think it's a, another good chapter in this series. Um, you know, I don't know what the point of the prologue was the flashback other than to get John Krasinski in the movie again. I don't mm-hmm. know. Because um, it doesn't really do anything except introduce Killian Murphy, who didn't need to be a family friend. I don't think so. Uh, no, plot I wise. So but I, I think he does a really good job and I, I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's kind of a tortured soul and, you know, there's a lot of like creepy things about the way he lives. But um, oh, overall, I think it's it's a decent it's a decent continuation. I think it's, you know, the, the, the good far outweighs any of the, the kind of bad. And I think the bad is just really only kind of dumb, dumb mythology stuff. And then the idea that Emily Blunt's character apparently is fighting off one of these things for <laughs> 24 hours or something <laughs> while it, while the rest of the movie goes on. So yeah. yeah, losing track of her time was not ideal, but I think it's all right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what's your grade for a quiet place part two, Cody? So based on what I remember, I would say I would say that I think uh, part two is better than part one for me, and I really? gave yeah, and so I gave part one a B minus. So I'm going to give this a B. Uh, I'm going to give this a B also. I think I'd probably give part one a B as well. I think I enjoyed them about the same. Um, you know, the first one is um, it's 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 very effective, and it it kind of hit the hit the mainstream really well and i think that uh you know it's it's one of the more 
you, uh, you know, and, and I don't know why I'd never seen it, but I had no no idea that the sound design was so cool. Not as mm-hmm. not as interesting as something like uh, Sound of Metal, but there's still a lot of cool sound design in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with yeah. the deaf character, but um, yeah. And anyway. uh, this will be um, on Paramount Plus on I believe June twelfth, fifteen days after it comes out in theaters. It should be out. I'm, I Is actually, it fifteen? I thought it was forty five. Oh, th- you're you know what? Because the bigger um, the bigger movies have the longer thing amount. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to double check on that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be on Paramount Plus soon. Yeah, so. it, sometime midsummer you should be able to see this. So, um, But it is in theaters now if you want to go take a look. Anyway, let's move on to our next movie, Cruella. Baroness? Outside that window display. I'm so sorry. I can explain that. Right, have to go. Sorry, Baroness. Um, get her. She's the vandal who messed up the whole window display. <laughs> We're dealing with it. All right, easy, easy, easy. So she works here? Oh, no, no. She was fired. Yeah. We're trying to give these wretches a chance, but, um, breeding. <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> so she doesn't work here? I'm convinced I know you're sweating and I can smell you. Brilliant, thank you. You, grubby girl. Yes. Jeffrey Cart. You're hired. This address, 5 a.m. Don't be late. This is, of course, an origin story for Cruella DeVille, who you may know as the uh, sort of uh, amoral villain of 101 Dalmatians who wanted to uh, turn 101 Dalmatian puppies into a coat. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but this is a Disney, uh, one of those Disney origin things, sort of like, uh, I mean, obviously the the closest comparison is Maleficent. Um, but this, uh, this is, uh, a, a bit of a different film than that. Uh, Cody, tell us about Cruella and what you thought of it. Yeah. You know, it's difficult to call it an origin story because it almost feels like a, a, a bit of a reimagining of the character. Oh, it's a 100%. Yeah. This, this is not the same, this yeah. is not the same Cruella who ends up wanting to skin puppies. It's not. And I think probably a bit to its detriment, um, <laughs> you know, uh, because it ends up, and I'll get into it later, but it ends up sort of making me wonder what the hell this thing is actually. Um, so yeah, so it takes it takes a story that I don't. I mean, I don't think Cruella Deville's uh, origin story was ever like gone into. She's in just a vil- right? she's just a villain. I mean, right. that's the thing is like the, it's it's based on a kid's book, and she's just a villain. Like, right. It's just this cartoonish villain, and that's all it ever was. Yeah, so it's it's sort of set in the world of like, um, you know, she's she ends up becoming like an orphan as a child, and um, <laughs> uh, due to due to circumstances that you may have been seeing online, uh, that, right that now. really blew up in, um, <laughs> really blew up in the the kind of commentary of it because we watched this a, like a week ago or so, and I was like, oh, that's a weird 
sort of thing to happen. And then like everyone who's seen the movie is really gripped onto that one as the kind of stupid thing that happens. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then she hooks up with this band of kids who are all, who are, uh, thieves and, and she kind of, uh, becomes, um, she starts living in like a, a house with them and it's just, they don't have like parents or anything. It's just like a, a house of kid thieves. Um, but she has aspirations to be like a fashion designer. And so as she grows up, she essentially cons her way into, um, putting herself up to, um, to to uh and this is played by emma stone of course uh to go to um a fashion designer played by um emma thompson and so uh the thing kind of goes from there and i think a a lot of um a lot of people are making a lot of comparisons to like the devil wears prada and i think that's appropriate and then i think that it needed to lean into that way more because i think that I think that it's at its most fun when it is in that Devil Wears Prada space where it's like, you know, Emma Thompson plays like a really cutthroat, mean, you know, fashion designer and um, and, and she's in Emma Stone's playing like the underling, you know, kind of character. And I think it really works. I think that's the part of the movie that works the best. But then in like the middle of the movie, Emma Stone's character, or Cruella's um, character, her motivation's take a, a 180 degree shift and the rest of the movie just becomes about revenge. Um, and to me, that was far less interesting uh, of a story to me. Um, I think that areas of success, costume design, obviously um, really great. Uh, the look and the style, it's a very sleek, very stylish movie, um, you know, taking place, I guess it's supposed to be taking place in what, like the... It's the 70s, yeah, like 70s London. It's supposed to be, like, I've seen a lot of comparisons to, like, the birth of punk rock, and I believe, um, I I forget, the the character Artie is supposed to be sort of that, like, forefront of it. Uh, Disney's first, Disney's, quote, first gay character who never gets to proclaim their sexuality and never gets any sort of identification that they're gay, except, like, oh, yeah, we told him that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that's that's the major problem with all of that stuff. It, it's, it's literally never, happens every single time. Yeah. It's never it's never actually on screen. Yeah. Um, but um, but yeah. So uh, uh, I think when it gets to the revenge stuff, it gets a little bit less interesting to me. There are, I don't, I don't. This might be an over exaggeration, but like eight hundred musical <laughs> needle drops. Uh, in the film where to me it was fucking exhausting every scene has some sort of like 60s or 70s you know pop or rock song in it like you know it starts and ends with rolling stones and um you know there's all kinds of shit in there and i i just don't understand why every single scene needed some sort of musical cue to it so i know a lot of people are talking about how good the soundtrack in it i think jared you said that there's like 37 actual needle drops uh, yeah i believe a, a re- one review i read counted 37 i don't know if that's fact that's just a, a count yeah. that i saw and i would i would totally believe that because there are sure. a ton it, it, it's a ton um i i had trouble understanding why her friends were going along with everything for such a long time because well, you you know those are the characters from the the film right I those are her hen- i haven't seen the film in in those are her henchmen years. yeah so it's retconning these henchmen jasper and horace mm-hmm. whose literal bat whose literal last name is Baden. Mm-hmm. um they were supposed to be brothers obviously these aren't brothers um 
they were um, her henchmen, and then like it's retconned them into being like the orphans that took her in. So gotcha. Okay. And and, and you know they seem to be like decent hearted guys. Yes. Um, well, and I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay. Um, it, 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 it also fumbles Kirby Hal Baptiste, who has no, <laughs> her character has no reason to be in this movie. Except for the very last scene. Except for, yeah, except for the very last scene. Um, but here's the issue I think that it has, is that I don't, I don't understand the movie because, like, I think you can have a movie that is like an origin story for a villain, or you can even have like an anti-hero character. But Cruella is like the sympathetic protagonist <laughs> of this movie, and like, like you said, her henchmen are like kind-hearted people that you're like rooting for in a way. And like, if this is meant to be an origin story of like a vicious Disney villain canonically. Uh, what the fuck? Like, like what's going on? Like, like, I just don't, I don't understand the, like, it, it, she's straight up the protagonist. She's not even the antagonist of, or the villain of her own movie. Like, she's the, she's the person you're ostensibly rooting for. Um, so I, it's, it's very confusing as to what this is because, you know, if you are to believe that this is the same character that, you know, wants to skin Dalmatians for a coat, like, there's so much dog stuff in this movie. Like, there's a bunch of, like, sm- and I don't know if they're trying to soften the blow by the fact that she has a dog and they use a dog for their robberies and stuff or whatever, but I just don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, so, yeah, the movie seems to be trying to have that both ways. Um, look, what you've read online... And this is this is the thing that's everyone we were talking about earlier. Dalmatians kill her mom. <laughs> yes. Like that's literally what happens. <laughs> Wait, hold on. They push her off a cliff. <laughs> they push her <laughs> off a cliff. Yeah. Um, so the idea that 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 she could become this puppy skinner, and like there's a there's another plot point later in the film where like they think um, uh, Emma Thompson's character, the Baroness, thinks that she's killed her dogs, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really as close as it ever gets. Uh, but yeah, I don't, the weird part is I actually kind of liked the movie. Like it's like you mentioned, it's stylish. It's, it's, it's got a great look. Um, I think Emma, Emma, um, Stone and Emma Thompson are really good. I really like Paul Walter Hauser's character. Um, I think he's funny and, um, endearing. If this were any movie other than a Cruella movie, like I, I think it'd be a lot more fun. Like if this was just some sort of random, you know, comedy thing set in the '70s fashion world, it would yeah. be so much better. Um, but connecting it to this villain who's only villainous, there's no, there's no gray area with Cruella Deville. Um, it becomes this thing that that doesn't really make any sense. Like. Again, we've we've asked this, and I've I've seen a lot of people ask this, and I it's a valid question. I think who is it for? You know, this isn't really a kids' movie because it's it's very much set in this like very identifiably set um, London that probably didn't exist, but kind of takes this pastiche of of things and and puts them all together. It's dark at times. You know, again, Dalmatians push her her mother off a cliff, and you know there's th- there's talk of like murdering people, and 
I don't really understand what the what the idea behind this film is as a Disney film. You know, it, like I said, if this were anything else, if this were the same plot line but it wasn't a Deville, I think it'd be kind of you, you 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 wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I don't know why it had to be attached to this character. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I I think if this was some character original character that uh, that had and and you played off of like the split personality kind of dual yeah. personality thing. It would have been, you know, it would have made more sense first and foremost. But also, you know, it would have been an interesting take on that kind of thing. And and I don't like you like I don't think there's anything identifiable again. Like you said, like I I just don't see how this has any DNA footprint of um, of that film or that franchise or anything like that. And again, like I said, I just. You know, I, I agree with you that Emma Stone and Emma Thompson are both good. I think the performances are good. Um, you know, I, I, I think I, I kind of appreciated that it wasn't necessarily, you know, clearly geared towards children. I think it, it, it's, yeah. it's specifically not geared towards children, if anything. Um, but like I said, the, you know, when it, when it, you get to the sort of transformation she has in the middle of the film to Cruella, to me, everything that follows there is far less interesting um, motivate like motivation wise, like execution, um, and and I was you know by by the end of the movie, I was I was just not into it. Yeah, I mean, the, there is a big turn that that happens where she just kind of starts acting like an asshole for no particular reason, right? Um, and you know the, the other characters start calling her on it. Yeah, I mean, it just it feels. I'm trying to think of a, another film that does the same thing, um, because I feel like there is one where a character sort of slips into this alter ego and 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 uh and alienates everyone around them and the closest thing i can come up with is teen wolf <laughs> which i don't know if that makes any sense but uh you know he's he's uh have you ever seen teen wolf no i've seen bits and pieces but I've okay never seen so the thing. idea is that he becomes this badass who you know takes down all of his enemies and, and everyone starts to hate him all of his friends start to hate him and it's about ba- the first one he's he's a he just gets really good at basketball. <laughs> I don't know what's happening with the in the eighties that way, but yeah, it feels like it. Uh, yeah, again, why is this a Cruella movie? Why is this connected to that at all? Because it makes no sense. Yeah, like I, I get, I got Maleficent, even though I didn't really care for the movie. I got where it was coming from because it was telling another side of a story and had some redemption arc. But this is just literally like she'd have to have like a real psychotic break in the next couple years for this to make any sense as a, as a prequel to 101 Dalmatians, even this, even a sort of reimagined 101 Dalmatians. Right. Well, and also again, I, again, making her a sympathetic character and is, is, and and it's certainly a take, I guess. Well, yeah, for this, I mean, for, for a villain story, from a story that's supposed to be about a villain, Right. But I, I mean, I think if this wasn't about a villain, I think it'd be fine. And and to reiterate, I like I actually kind of like the movie. Like I don't have a I didn't have any big problems with it. But it's just a weird, it's a weird creature on its own. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what's your grade for Cruella? Uh, didn't pass the muster for me, so I'm giving it a C plus. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it a B. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, it, it's really long. I think that's yeah, probably the biggest yeah, problem. Really it's like it's over two hours long. Um, but. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a weird, weird movie, uh, all things considered. But it is available uh, now. In it's in theaters and on Disney Plus with premiere access, meaning it's going to cost you thirty bucks to watch it. Um, all right, let's move on to our last movie, Plan B. Where are 
right now. Puberty is telling you to step on the gas. If your vagina was a car, what would it be? Ferrari. Today's covered up and completely untouched in the garage. Mine would definitely be a transformer. You think you know her? Boom. Autobots pop out. I feel like if you're following the metaphor, that means you have craps. What? We finally tried reverse cowgirl. And? Amazing, right? It wasn't that great for me, but... I feel like it looked cool. I was a horse fucking and I haven't even had my first kiss. Oh fuck. Look at Hunter. Who plays hockey in a card again? He's like an athletic librarian. You know, Sunny's throwing a party. Really? Love a good high school party with the liquors and the touching, all the other stuff, drugs. Big night for you. Inviting your crush. Partying and drinking. I feel so stimulated. Is this what white privilege feels like? Take good choices. Oh, fuck. Lupe? I had sex. What? You banged your crush at your own party? You are my hero. Oh, God. I was peeing. And a condom. Fell out. What? A condom full of goo. Let's get the plan B bill. Is there an alternative? You mean a plan B? So this is a comedy film, um... Kind of a, another in the line of uh, films, obviously compared to something like Booksmart, two two females in a uh, more of a profane comedy than expect. I think, mm-hmm. based on past experiences. Anyway, whatever. It's it's from the guys who made Harold and Kumar. Also, their producers on Cobra Kai, um, uh, Hayden Schlossberg and uh, Josh Heald. Uh, this is a Hulu film uh, directed by Natalie Morales, an actress, uh, her directorial debut. Anyway, Cody, tell us about Plan B and what you thought of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's so um, it's it's her debut technically in terms of release, but she also made a movie that was out South by Southwest that she made during a shutdown of making this movie. Uh, so she kind oh, of really? has like, yeah, so she made language lessons with Mark Duplass um, during when this movie was delayed and then it premiered at South by Southwest before this one. So I don't know like canonically what her debut will technically be. Um, if you, if you count the one that premiered at a festival first or the one that premiered, um, you know, anyway, this was, this was designed to be her premiere. Um, so basically you, you got all the synopsis you need, I think from that clip, which is, it follows these two girls, one play, played by Kuho Verma uh, and one played by Victoria Morales, and um, they uh, they essentially need to uh, find the Plan B pill, and it is not as easy as um, as it probably should be, and uh, this sends them on a wild goose chase um, for that pill. Um, I think Booksmart is a good comparison. I think it's also sort of in the vein of like blockers where it's like, uh, yeah. you know, a, a, a group or some like good females, like acting bad, you know, that kind of thing, like teen, young teen, uh, good girls acting bad kind of thing. Um, although one of the characters, I guess, doesn't really qualify for that, but the main one does. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's pretty, um, like you said, it's it's pretty vulgar and raunchy, which I think uh, works to its benefit at some parts. At some parts, I think it works to its detriment because I think it might be too much. There's a there's one scene in particular that might be uh, a little uh, uh, a little. Uh, Talking about the uh, Moses Storm scene. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, you just got yeah. You gotta you gotta tamp those those thoughts down, Cody. It's, <laughs> uh, it's nothing to be intimidated by. Yeah. Thank you. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah. So uh, so I, you know, I think that the film um really gets by on the strength of the two characters, the two main characters here. Um, I think that it as at times really funny. I think the dialogue is pretty sharp throughout most of the film. I think that maybe the 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 parts that don't work as well are some of those physical comedy bits. Like there's a scene where like Edie Patterson shows up and plays a super weird character. <laughs> that, like, I love I, e- I love Edie Patterson. I can't. I-, I I do too. But it felt like but it but it's but it's again just just like some of the stuff is just bizarre for the sake of being bizarre kind of <laughs> it's thing. It's a very it's very feels like a very improvised scene. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um or then you'll get like the scene that I was just referencing or like there's a scene at the party at a party later where it just feels like it leans too heavily like I I I I think it needs to be like 10 to 15% like less zany and kind of uh, you know, like gross out buddy comedy humor because I think at the core of it is a really sweet story and I think a really great relationship and honestly a great um a great representation like piece like there's a lot of you know really interesting yeah. representation happening with you know not only the casting of the movie but the characters and and the way that it explores sexuality and stuff so i think all of that is really solid um uh i think uh both of the actresses are are really funny and really good in it um and I think again the, the the relationships at the center of it, outside of that, like their romantic relationships, also um, work out pretty well in terms of execution. I think that again, like I said, I think it just gets a little bit too caught up with making it so extreme at times that I wish it would have just been more subtle. Like I think a, a more subtle, like less um, less reliance on like those big crazy moments, um, and I think you would have had a better movie. Though I did think that it was um decent enough yeah i i agree to a point i i liked the some of the zany stuff i guess a little more than you did i think the biggest problem i have is it doesn't really feel sustained like it feels like i don't know what happens in the first like 20 30 minutes there were like a day passes in the movie time and then it kind of slows down to a crawl Mm -hmm. of like just hour by hour so it feels like it there's there's some pacing issues that I think are a little um, that the, the kind of crop up right away because it's it really goes kind of all out right in the first act. Like you have the the major party where it feels like that would be something that would build up to in another film. I, I don't think it, I don't think there's any problem with it overall. I just feel like it might be missing a little something to make it um, as special as it could be. You know, I think you know, book smart. Um, is kind of the mold for this, I think, obviously. And I think it's a, it's a, it's not a bad role, you know, thing to live up to. I don't think it ever quite is as self-assured as that movie is. Um, and you know, re- representation wise, it does a really good job, I think. Um, but I think it might spend a little too much. Like once you meet, so once you meet, uh, um, Victoria Morales's love interest, the movie kind of comes to a stop and um, doesn't really seem to acknowledge that. I don't know. It feels, it just feels like a weird thing in the relationship between these two girls that that would become an issue. Well, I, I agree it to, to, but, but sort of in a different way in that I think that the movie is lacking some conflict between them. Um, yeah. 
I don't know that it has enough conflict that drives a wedge in between them because these movies, you know, even if you look to like super bad, which is probably the blueprint for all of this stuff mm-hmm. in a way, um, at least in modern times, um, you know, the reason that movie works is because the wedge that's drove, that's driven in between, you know, Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah in that movie, um, over girls and stuff like that. So, um, the, the 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 relationship between these two is is relatively conflict free and and any conflict comes in like um like like lies of omission basically yeah. and i don't know that that's i i don't know that that creates for like a great arc between them because they're just they just end up being like really close friends um <laughs> and i wish there was a little bit more conflict there Especially yeah considering what happens in, over the course of the movie yeah uh I mean, it's. I think it's. I think it's fine. I just think it's missing something, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is. Um, but I, you know, I think the cast is is great. I, I like the, the two leads. Um, uh, you know, and then it's got a, a, a supporting. Uh, you know, like I said, Edie Patterson shows up and is funny. Uh, Moses Storm has a very <laughs> profane part. <laughs> um, you know, and I uh, Jay Chandra Seacar's in it for a split second, playing kind of a. Uh, well, he plays a pharmacist, mm-hmm. uh, and I think there's a funny running joke in there that Kuho uh, uh, Verma's character makes about the Indian mafia mm-hmm. that has a it has an actually funny payoff later in the film. Um, but I do think uh, it wraps up a little too quickly too, and a little sure. too conveniently. Um, I but I think yeah, overall, that's, it's, a, that's actually a great point because I feel like there's some legit catharsis that could be happening in that last in the last chapter here um, that just kind of very quickly wraps up. Yeah. Anyway, what's your grade for Plan B? Uh, I'm going to give it a B minus. I think that it's good enough to recommend. Um, I don't think that it lives up to what the potential is of the movie, but I still think that it's like, you know, it's funny enough to enjoy, and um, and I think the the performances of of the two actresses are um, are, are really enjoyable. Yeah, I think a, a B minus is about the same for me too. I I do think there's something missing. I can't. I don't know what it is, but I think it's it's just missing something to make it really, really something kind of wall to wall funny from beginning to end. But it is available on Hulu right now if you'd like to watch that. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, Cody, you have you know we might take the week off. Um, <laughs> the, big, the big the big opening movie is The Conjuring, and I really I'm going to be I'm going to level with all of our listeners here. I've never seen a Conjuring movie, and I don't feel like catching up. Oh, really? So, yeah. I saw the first one. Um, I don't know how many there are after that. I think this is the third, if I'm not mistaken. No, because there's a there's one about the doll. Right. There's a spinoff. I think this is the third. Okay. Like of the main. It's not like not not including the the universe of it. I think there's three movies total. You know what's funny about that doll? Hmm. Um. So like this is based on a true story. Um, those who I can't remember their names. The couple that Patrick Wilson and uh, uh, Vera mm-hmm. Farmiga play are they're real people. Um, and the doll itself, like in the movie, is this like creepy porcelain doll. But in real life, the doll was like a Raggedy Ann doll, mm. which is way less menacing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so. Um, Sorry, but this is the third in the Conjuring series of like the main series. It is the eighth movie in the Conjuring universe. Wait, what? What else is there? What else is there? <laughs> there's okay. So there's the Conjuring. Okay. Annabelle. The okay. Conjuring Two. Annabelle Creation. 
The Nun, The Curse of La Llorona, and Annabelle Comes Home. Oh, wait. The La Llorona movie is a, a Conjuring movie? It is in the Conjuring universe, yes. Hmm. No idea. Yeah. Whatever. Okay, well, then we'll skip that. We could skip it. Yep. That's fine. Sorry. I'm not... I'm. Whatever. Every other week is enough. So, um, yeah. Anyway, we'll, if you we'll want to... We'll be back with... Uh, with um... On the on the week of the eleventh, we'll be back with uh, in the heights. Oh yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. You can find us on Twitter at cinesnob, Facebook cinesnobnet, youtube.com slash cinesnob is where all these video podcasts live. Um, you got some interviews on there too. Um, other podcasts, you know the drill. We haven't we haven't done one in a while, so they're yeah. out there still. Uh, Cody, you got the ramble still? Yeah, rambles. Uh, we're trying to do because Jerry's in uh, in chemo, so uh, we're trying to keep a, a schedule as much as we can. So at least radios on Tuesdays and Fridays um, for now, uh, and uh, and hopefully ramble some ramble regular rambles on Wednesdays. Go to a hunting's on the shelf for a little while, um, but we will come back to it at some point. Cool. Uh, yeah. Anything else before we go? Uh. No, I don't think so. Um, it, it it was uh, it, it's it's good to have you back at the theaters, Jared. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And I, and I, I know uh, you'll be there again for F nine. So, yeah, I did get a, a screening invite for In the Heights, but I was like, I'm just gonna wait till it comes out on HBO Max, and I'm just gonna watch it at home. Yeah, I I can't. I don't think I'm allowed to talk about it yet. But I've uh, I saw it a while ago. Um, oh yeah. So, um, I don't think I I might rewatch it. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Whatever, man. All of the all of the big like uh, the, we follow some circles who will uh, demand that you see it in the theater. Oh, I know. Um, I've seen I've seen it already. I <laughs> yeah. don't. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah. Anyway. All right. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to the Cine Snob Podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.